Good morning. Let me extend my welcome to you as well, particularly uh, if you're a visitor with us. We are glad that you are here with us. Uh, there is a, a black pad there in your pew. If you could take that and sign that, pass that along. And uh, there are also prayer cards in the pews there. If you have a particular prayer concern, we'd be glad to pray for it. Uh, fill it out and uh, give it to myself or Goody, or, uh, and we'll pass that along to our, our intercessory prayer, prayer team. Uh, please pray for uh, Mark Hutton, our interim pastor. He was on his way uh, to be with us this morning and uh, didn't feel great last night. Tested himself, came back negative, didn't feel great this morning. Tested himself again, sort of positive, and tested himself again three or four more times, and he was positive, positive, positive. So uh, pray for Mark. Uh, he decided uh, to bless us all by not being here. And, uh, so pray for Mark. This morning we are concluding our series on the life of Abraham. We have been looking at his life as instruction for us. Abraham was asked to leave home, kindred, family, to go on a journey whose final destination he didn't know. And all he had was God's promise. And this feels like we are what we are being asked to do as a congregation in this season of transition. We don't know where we will end up, we think it will be here at the corner of Perry and Iredell. We know more than Abraham did, perhaps, but it still feels like a lot of unknowns for us, and it feels like all we have are God's promises. And so to celebrate uh, finishing our series, I am told that Black is an academic kind of congregation, so I thought to, to celebrate the finishing the series would be fun for us to have a pop quiz, all right? This is a closed book pop quiz, so uh, this may be the only time you hear me say this, but please close your Bibles. Do not open your Bibles. And this is a timed quiz. Uh, I promise we won't take longer than 35 minutes. Uh, there are uh, 10 short answer questions on this quiz, followed by a bonus question and then one essay question, all right? And we will grade this instantaneously uh, for the short answer and bonus question I will ask the question and you'll have about five seconds to come up with answer, write it down, uh, and then we'll see if we can come up perhaps with the answer together. And so uh, everybody have a pen, pencil, piece of paper, are you ready for this, All right? Uh, if you wanna go ahead and put that on our screen there, there's the Life of Abraham pop quiz, right? This is a little scary to see what you all have heard in the last several weeks, but uh, the first question, this is based on, I was hoping Mark would be here, but his first sermon, how many I wills are there in Genesis 12, 1 to 3? Anybody remember how many I wills? If you got it, write it down. Mark, how many? No, anybody remember how many there were? Four? I see it. Four? I think it was six, right? There were six. The right answer is six, right? Uh, two, how many times does Abraham try to pass Sarah off as his sister? Twice, Twice all right? Uh, Isaac does it later with, with Rebecca, but that doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> where was Abraham's hometown? Ur. Ur of the Chaldees, right? Near, uh, where you think, near where the Tower of Babel was. Uh, to whom does Abraham pay a tenth of his booty after defeating the four kings? 
Melchizedek, right? Uh, when God renews his covenant between himself and Abraham, what passes between the carcasses of the animals that were split in two? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, right? Okay? Uh, you get half credit, you get one of those. Uh, <laughs> where was Hagar from? Did I hear it? Egypt, yep. Uh, how old was Abraham when God first spoke to him his promises, and then how old was he when Isaac was born? How old was he first left? Uh, seven, 75, right, is the right answer. Uh, and how old was he when Isaac was born? A hundred years old, right, good. Uh, and then who gives God the name Elroy, the God who sees? Hagar, the slave woman, right? And uh, how old was Isaac when his father Abraham tried to offer him as a sacrifice to God? All right, pop quiz had to have a trick question. This was a trick question. We don't know how old he was. Uh, and then uh, who else besides Abraham, Sarah, and I guess Lot too, who else besides those three left home, family, land to follow God's promised blessing? And think about Goody's sermon last week. Rebecca, right, uh, this promise to go, and Rebecca leaves it all uh, to follow the servant to go marry Isaac. And then the bonus question, how many shekels of silver did Abraham pay for a lot of plot of land to bury Sarah? 400, good, wow, right, very impressive. All right, and then our essay question, all right. <laughs> what can God do about the sin and rebellion of the human race? All right. And uh, trying to write down your answer. Uh, if you wrote down Jesus, right, you would be right. right? That's, uh, but given our sermon series has been a life of Abraham, I would hope for more than that, right? And so let me try to answer the essay question uh, in less than 35 minutes, uh, because I think it is a crucial question that the book of Genesis is trying to answer, the whole Bible uh, is from Genesis chapter 12 through Revelation chapter 22 is trying to answer. So the book of Genesis begins with the story of creation and God's intended purpose for us in chapters 1 and 2. And then chapters 3 to 11 tell us the story of humanity's descent into sin and rebellion. And it's a pretty depressing story, right? From Adam and Eve choosing to doubt God's goodness and assert their will against God's good command to the murder of Abel by his brother Cain, to the descent into the days of Noah, where the verdict on humanity is announced that the Lord saw that the weakness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil all the time. Right? The flood is a, a reboot, if you will, but it doesn't fix the root problem of the evil inclination of the human heart, and we conclude in chapter 11 with the arrogant pride and rebellion of the Tower of Babel. The stories of chapters 3 to 11 describe human sinfulness in all of its hopelessness, its personal sin, its corporate, it impacts all of creation, it's cosmic. And so the question is, how possibly will God fix this? We had the promise back in chapter 3 that when the Lord pronounces judgment on Eve that her seed would crush the head of the serpent. But there are no signs of hope when we get to the end of chapter 11. 
And I think we understand that. I think we feel that in our lives today. We used to think that the inevitable progress of liberal democracy would bring peace and prosperity to the world. Remember when uh, the Soviet Union fell and, and this hope that, yes, democracy spread through the world and we had the Arab Spring and wouldn't look what... And now we look at what's happened and that hope has clearly been dashed for us. We thought that the internet would make knowledge and information available to everyone, right? So that freedom was an irresistible tide that tyrants could not hold back. And instead, we are swamped with misinformation. The internet has been weaponized. Instead of a beacon of truth, it has relativized truth so that each person can find their own truth that best fits them online. And we are overwhelmed by the violence around us. From Ukraine, where one tyrant can impose his violence against a whole nation to a 4th of July parade in Illinois, to our schools and even our churches, violence. It feels inescapable to us. Many of us don't even trust our law enforcement officers as we see almost weekly a new video of police using what appears to be excessive force in subduing a fellow citizen of color. With floods and droughts and heat waves and wildfires, it feels like all of creation indeed is falling apart and groaning under the weight of human sinfulness. So yes, we too wonder what God can do about the sin and rebellion of the human race. The stories we've been looking at for the last several weeks are the beginning of God's answer. It's a long answer, but it begins with Genesis chapter 12. Paul tells us this in Galatians 3 that we read, where Paul says, God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. And so as a way to review our sermon series, I want us to return to where we started in Genesis chapter 12 and to read this pivot point in the book of Genesis and in the whole story of God's answer to human sinfulness. So then listen again to God's word to us from Genesis chapter 12, reading verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. When we looked at this, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we looked at this text at the very beginning of our series, remember Pastor Mark focused on the I wills. We focused on those six I wills of what God promises that he would do. This morning I want us to focus instead on the imperatives. There are two imperatives in this text, two commands that give structure to this promise. And the first is the command, go. Literally, the Hebrew here uses a reflexive pronoun, so it's emphatic, more like get yourself up and go from your country, from your people, from your father's household. This is a radical call, right? His hometown was Ur of the Chaldees, which we believe was close to Babel, the Tower of Babel. And Babel was the place of human pride and arrogance, the, the place of human achievement. And Abram had to leave all of that. 
As one commentator puts it, Abraham must leave all that ties him to Babylon before he can be the vehicle of blessing to all the world. Babel cannot be the source of the solution. The greatest human achievements cannot solve the deepest human problems. So Abram gets up and goes from the center of civilization to the backwoods, the backwaters of Canaan. And we too must make a radical break. We live at one of the centers of human achievement. The triangle is a center of academic, scientific, medical, and intellectual achievement. And that is not evil. But we will not find the solution to human, human sinfulness and rebellion there. We will find it here. <laughs> here we will find God's answer to human sinfulness and rebellion. Not here as in me, not here as in uh, uh, this congregation where we no longer have sin or rebellion anymore, but here as in the story that we are caught up in at Blackmaw. Here is in the songs we sing and the, the bread that we will break. There will be bread this morning. <laughs> the bread that we will break. Here is where God's solution to human sinfulness is. Here as in the hope that we have come to know. Here as in the transforming power of Christ's resurrection that rescues us from sin. Here we experience, not enough, but we experience hearts transformed, desires transformed. Yes, we have this message, this hope in clay pots, broken clay pots, but it is here. That leads us then to our second imperative. And you may not see it in our NIV translation. The end of verse 2 says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And uh, you will be a blessing in the Hebrew is an imperative. So literally it says, I will make your name great and be a blessing. That is the imperative for us. In Hebrew, uh, as in English, when two imperatives are placed together, oftentimes the second imperative gives the purpose or the result of the first imperative. For example, if we say, go outside and get some fresh air. Right? The second command, get some fresh air, is the result of doing the first imperative, going outside. Or come to our house and stay the night. Staying the night is the purpose right, of coming to our house. Here, Abraham is commanded to go, first command, and to be a blessing. The purpose of his going is in order, is in order to be a blessing. The result of his going is that he, he is to be a blessing, which is where we get our translation in the NIV, go and you will be a blessing. That's its purpose. How does God plan to respond to human sinfulness and rebellion? He's going to do something that eventually... He's going to do something that, uh, as we see, we sort of come to expect in the way that he does things. He's going to do it by going to an elderly, childless couple, right, least likely couple, and says, go and I'll make of you a great nation and be a blessing to all nations. God starts not with human achievement and capability, but God starts with human barrenness and says, I will. Trust me, go and be a blessing. And notice 
that the scope of this blessing is all nations. The problem of human sinfulness is global. God's answer is global. The problem is cosmic. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 3 that God's answer is cosmic. We bear witness to the spiritual powers. Five times this promise is repeated in Genesis. Here in chapter 12, again in chapter 18, when the three angels come and tell Abraham and Sarah that she will get pregnant. In chapter 22, after Abraham attempts to offer Isaac up as a sacrifice. And then again in chapter 26, when God appears to Isaac. And in chapter 28, when God appears to Jacob. Each time, the promise includes the promise and the command that God's, that, excuse me, that Abraham's descendants will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. The beauty of the gospel is that God always intended to bless all the nations. The challenge and the questionable strategy on God's part, right, is that he always intended to do it through Abraham and his descendants. The beauty of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, we now are included in Abraham's descendants. And the challenge and very questionable strategy on God's part is that he, he has intended to do it through us. We have been given a, mes- a mission. Be a blessing. Abraham's faith and obedience were necessary for effective participation in this limitless mission that God gives that's encapsulated in these two Hebrew words translated, be a blessing. Be a blessing. What does that mean? Can you hang in there a little longer? Me and try and describe what this churchy word blessing means. Five times in these three verses, we have the Hebrew word that is translated bless or blessing. Living here in the South where the phrase bless your heart can take on a myriad of meanings that are still a mystery to this native Pennsylvanian to really understand what it means. But let's at least try and describe what we think scripture means by be a blessing. I've been helped here particularly by the work of Christopher Wright, who's written a book, The Mission of God, where he describes what blessing means here in, in Genesis 12. First, blessing is creational and relational. In the book of Genesis, particularly, blessing is creational in the sense that it's about fruitfulness. It's about having many children and many flocks and and much wealth, right? And that's, we hear Abraham was blessed and with large flocks. And it's this creational sense of being fruitful, right? And so it's creational and it is also relational. It's horizontally relational, being a blessing to those, your neighbors around you being at peace with them, being in in harmony with them. It's also vertical in relationship, in relationship to God. We at Blacknell are to be a blessing in both the creational sense, helping our neighbors who need food, who need help. We are involved in that as we participate in the food banks at Iglesia Emanuel, at at St. John's, as we provide for people's material needs. We are being a blessing. And it's also being a blessing by communicating to to them in that vertical relationship with God, that they can be at peace with God, that Jesus is the one who can be trusted. And we are a blessing as we live together in harmony with each other here as well as with our neighbors. Blessing is also missional, right? The first 
command go was, was geographic and, and limited. Go to the land where I will show you. The second command is, is missional, be a blessing. It was unbounded to all the nations and all lands. The second imperative is not just about creational abundance. It's about a task and a role. We have a job to do, to go and be a blessing. We have been given a mission. Wright points out that this command of God is the source of Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's a lot like go and be a blessing to all nations. Thirdly, blessing is covenantal and ethical. Right? It's, it's covenantal in the sense that we have responsibilities of what we have to do in our relationship with God. God's people are called to respond in the same way that Abraham did. Faith in God's promises and obedience to his commands. In Genesis 18, a, a text we did not look at, when the three angels come and appear uh, to Abraham and, and talk to him and Sarah, at the end of this time, they told him that Sarah would be, would be pregnant. And then they're on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angel of the Lord says, is it right for us not to tell Abraham what we're going to do? And then they say this in Genesis 18, verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. The angel of the Lord here is saying that God chose Abraham so that he would keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. When we walk in God's ways, we are a blessing to the nations. Obedience to his commands is a blessing, not just to us, but to those around us. It demonstrates, it incarnates who our God is like when we live in obedience to him. And then fourthly and finally, this blessing is Christological, right? It's Christ-centered. The uh, last phrase in verse 3 of chapter 12 says, I will, uh, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this phrase, will be blessed, again, there's question on how it should be translated. Many of the translations have a, a footnote. It's a question, and if you're a grammar person, you might get this. It's a question of whether or not it is a passive tense or reflexive tense. And it can be reflexive in, as in the sense of nations not will, will be blessed, but nations will bless themselves with the blessing of Abraham. And that reflexive sense carries with it the connotation that one knows the source of the blessing. That they will be blessed, not as in blessed and uncertain of how it happened or why it's there. There's living a good life, but they will be blessed with the blessing of Abraham. They will bless themselves with the blessing. They will say, may God bless us the way God blessed Abraham. They will have come to know the God of Abraham and will want to be blessed in the same ways. The intention is not just that all nations will be blessed, but they will bless themselves in Abraham. God's intention is that nations will self-consciously share in the blessing of Abraham through this deliberate taking on for themselves the God of Abraham. 
They'll be blessed because they've come to know the God of Abraham. The creation must know its creator. For our mission as a congregation, it is crucial that people come to know the whole biblical story. Not just a story of my own personal Jesus who is powerful to fulfill my desires. We need to come to know the Jesus who is rooted in the story that is launched by Abraham. As we continue as a congregation in this season of transition, we are tempted by fear to doubt God's promises of I will. God will. He has promised. We can know that and trust that. Let us do our part. Let us go and be a blessing. As we think about what's next for us, I want us to listen to uh, one of our foremothers, right, who went before us. And I encourage you, if, you've, uh, if you are free in the next hour, stick around here in the sanctuary for uh, the history of Blacknall class that's happening here. It's a great gift, one of the most remarkable uh, courses I've, I've ever seen or been a part of. So let me encourage you, to, if you, if you can, to stick around for it. Sadie Blacknall is a woman married to Richard Blacknall, for whom Blacknall is, is named. Uh, back in the late 1890s, uh, began this mission to Wild West Durham uh, and reaching out. And she says this. She says, there has never been in the history of this mission an extremity in which we have not been relieved, an emergency in which we were not helped. And in the vicissitudes of the work, through the years, many have been the object lessons be held before our eyes by him whose work it is. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. The West Durham mission was the youngest and in some ways the weakest and most unpromising of our church's undertakings in home missions. Home church being First Presbyterian Church downtown. Its course was marked from the first by adversity of varied sorts, yet it was blessed and made a blessing from the first. That's who we have been from the first. That's who God is calling us to be as we go forward. Go, go, and be a blessing. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we pause to think about the brokenness, the hurt, the violence of human sin and rebellion. Lord, the solution of that does not seem to be something that could happen in us, but that your purpose would be that as your people, descendants of Abraham, we would be your instrument to bring about health and hope through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, this is more than we can do. And so we indeed pray that you would help us, you would keep your promises to us. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, together, we would go, we would be a blessing, we'd step out, we would risk, we'd lean on you and on one another. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen.